We're going to be concluding our short series on Habakkuk this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you could turn to Habakkuk chapter 3. People keep saying every time I preach on Habakkuk, I say it's after Nahum and they don't know where Nahum is. So to make it easy, you can just look at your contents page and you'll find the page number. But just as a helping hand, if you're using the church Bibles, it's page 942. If you head there with me now, as you're heading there, I'll just give you a a very brief summary of where we've been. Um, This series is kind of dotted about over the last few months. Let me just uh, briefly cover where we've been. Habakkuk is a prophet, and as a prophet, he is in despair. He is seeing evil around him, and it concerns him. In chapter 1 and verse 2, he says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save. You see, evil violence surrounded Habakkuk amongst his people. Yet to Habakkuk, God was not responding. Habakkuk's view is that God is sitting back, letting all this happen, and that instead of God intervening, his law is being paralyzed and is unable to do anything to beat this evil. So Habakkuk demands God to respond to his cries. Well, God does respond, and he responds by getting Habakkuk to look at the bigger picture, to see what God is already doing. And God is raising up the Chaldean army, ready to wage war and defeat the evil amongst Habakkuk's people. Now, we learned last time that the Chaldeans are an evil army, and Habakkuk would not believe his very ears when he heard what God was saying, that evil will wage war against evil and that God was going to allow it to happen. To Habakkuk, it seemed that evil fighting evil was wrong. So he was in utter dismay, and therefore, again, in the end of chapter 1, demands God to respond to him. What is it that you are doing? Well, of course, God was never going to let evil prevail, and therefore responds to Habakkuk with five very clear warnings to the Chaldean army. The five warnings were that the people that the Chaldean army plundered will rise up and take back what is theirs. Second, the house and the royal family would be tormented by the bloodshed that they had committed. Number three, the cities they had built by slavery will be brought to the ground and destroyed. Number four, their evil drunkenness will catch up with them and they will be shamed from their behavior. And fifth and finally, the Chaldean army will simply be destroyed as they're putting trust in idols. And we put all these warnings together and we learned ourselves that these warnings are about self. That this army was all about themselves. And the lesson we learned was that God is warning us against the sin of self. And instead encouraging us to fall to our knees at God's holy temple and fall silent and recognize who God is. Today we're going to conclude in chapter 3. And Nathan, just a short while ago in an evening service, helped us look through verses 1 and 2. I'll include them, but we won't spend too much time on them. Instead, we're going to look at the rest of the chapter. So if you will, follow on from verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shidonoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. 
in wrath remember mercy. Habakkuk now has heard the awful reality of what God is about to do. That he will, yes, destroy the evil amongst his people, but he will equally destroy the evil of the Chaldean army. And this entire plan has been laid out in front of Habakkuk and he recognises the awful reality of it. And reflecting on this, we read that Habakkuk is fearful. Of course you would be fearful. I was saying to someone the other week when I, after I preached on Habakkuk 2, how often the word bloodshed is used. God is angry. He has got his entire bucket full of wrath ready for the Chaldean army. And so when Habakkuk realises this, he too fears what God will do. But knowing who God is and praying earnestly, he asks God to reveal and act upon this plan now. He says, in the midst of the years. He's meaning now, act upon this plan, destroy the evil. What I find interesting, though, is just towards the end, just these few little words, in wrath, remember mercy. It's almost as if Habakkuk is saying, God, destroy evil. Let righteousness win. But please don't be too harsh. Please don't go too far. You can sense the fear in Habakkuk's voice. Continue from verse 3. God came from Timan and the Holy One from the Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. From verse 3 onwards, we're going to see that Habakkuk is going to reflect back to the time of the Israelites and the Exodus. Habakkuk is reflecting on who God is up until this point. He specifically remembers the Israelites, the slavery in Egypt that lasted 400 years, the plagues, the exodus from Egypt, the journey of the Israelites wandering in the desert, and finally the promised land. He's remembering all of these things. He would have been brought up on the scriptures. He would know them. And here in verse 3, we get a hint of this because God came from Teman and Paran. These are both places in Edom. And both places represent the law of God and all of God's acts through Moses. So Habakkuk is harking back to the memories of God, probably trying to understand what God is doing and who God is. And all his splendor, God brought these Israelites into the promised lands. Now, at this point, Habakkuk is remembering the positive fulfillment of God's promises. Namely, he is remembering that God is the saviour of the Israelites and has established his law. But we soon see in verse 4 that his mind changes to other aspects. Verse 4. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low and his were the everlasting ways. I personally find it quite interesting here in verse 4 that Habakkuk is beginning to get the reality of who God is. In chapter 1, he's crying to God and demanding God for an answer. But now in chapter 3 and verse 4, he mentions this, that God's power, his might, his awesomeness has to be veiled. This is the same guy that is almost arguing with God is now recognizing that God's power is veiled. Just consider 1 Timothy 6.16. 
Who along has immortality? Who dwells in unapproachable light? Whom no one has ever seen or can see? To him be honour and eternal dominion. You see, as Habakkuk looks back, he realises that God has actually been merciful, that he has veiled his true power, that he has used just the right amount of power at the right times. And we're getting, beginning to get a hint of what he's looking back to. Verse 5, before him went pestilence and plagues followed at his heels. He's remembering specifically the plagues in Egypt. That God veiled his power and his might right up until the end. And then at the end, he showed what he could do. But even then, it was hidden at night time. You see, Habakkuk is beginning to understand the awesome and terrifying reality of who God is. He recognizes that when God arrives on the scene and makes his presence felt, not only people, but the very mountains shake and tremble when they see who God is. The writer of the Hebrews wrote this in Hebrews 10.31, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Later in chapter 12 in Hebrews, he writes, For our God is a consuming fire. God is veiling his consuming fire here with the Chaldeans. He is giving it time. Robertson puts it another way, and I quite like how this is written. Now the Almighty has arrived like a great colossus towering over the mountain peaks. The Lord God measures the earth, claiming the right of domain inherent in himself as creator. With a glance of his eye, he manifests his sovereignty in apportioning territories. His glance startles the nations. As a grasshopper springs, so entire nations leap with fright when they suddenly become aware that the Lord has come. And you see, all this is further proved in Habakkuk 3 and verse 7. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Now, Cushan and Midian were thorns in the side of the Israelites. These were two nations that just would not leave them alone. Yet God honoured the Israelites and he delivered them from these two nations. All this leads Habakkuk to the startling reality that God has always delivered his people. That God has always kept his promises. So how dare Habakkuk even question God's plan? He's suddenly realizing that God has it. He gets it. He gets that God's got a plan and it's perfect. Yet he has just stood and questioned God who has to veil his power or everything is consumed in fire. And in the next eight verses in Habakkuk 3, we start seeing this revelation dawn on Habakkuk. Let's read together from verse 8. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from the bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. 
The sun and the moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people and for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows and the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of the mighty waters. You see, God utterly destroyed the evil of Pharaoh and he has destroyed every sinful ruler from Pharaoh all the way through to Habakkuk. And we understand why in verse 13, for the salvation of God's people. You see, the reality that Habakkuk is finally grasping is he doesn't even need to ask God what he's going to do with evil. He already knows. History has shown that God will look at the earth, toss nations side to side, and he will judge evil. You just have to read these few verses we've just read to recognize the power and the might of God and just what he will do if anyone dare question who the ruler of earth should be. One commentator put it this way, God has the power to utterly obliterate sin, but he veils his power so that we might be protected. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was studying this and preparing this message, that shook me and it made me think about my sin and the things I do wrong. And it shook me in recognizing on who God is. But just read in verse 16 how it shook Habakkuk. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. God's presence and his might had great impact on Habakkuk. F.F. Bruce writes it this way, that Habakkuk was left in a state of agitation, exhaustion and near collapse. His bones were turned to water and he was left without strength. Such was God's presence in this moment. Do you get it yet? By this point, Habakkuk has demanded of God an answer. He has got God's answer. He's not happy with it because he suddenly realized, who is he to even question this God? Habakkuk, in such awe of such a powerful and almighty God, finishes these writings with a complete turn in attitude. Verse 17, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the producer of olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. What he's saying here is, although everything might be dreadful, although everything might turn sour, although everything I know is destroyed, listen to what he says in verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength and he makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. I just have three very simple things we can learn from Habakkuk. And as I say these three, 
if someone would like to go and gather those who have left from the Boys and Girls Brigades. Number one, when all seems unfair, take a step back and look at the bigger picture. You see, Habakkuk in chapter 1 verse 2 goes, God, you are not hearing my cries. You are not paying attention, God. Look at me. Answer me, God. How many of us have cried out to God like that? How many of us said, God, when will you act? When will you provide? When will you give? When will you stop? Yet God says, look at the bigger picture. Look at history. Look at God's word. Has God ever failed a promise? Has he ever fallen silent that his people don't even know where he is? Has he ever failed his people? The tough part of this lesson is when all seems unfair, the reality is this is perfectly fair. Because God has a plan and it is perfect. Number two, God always has a plan. And righteousness will prevail and sin will be defeated. Is there anyone in God's word that is more powerful than God himself? Even the devil in early chapters of Job has to come to God and ask permission to frustrate Job and to punish him. Even the devil has to ask permission. You see, God has a plan and his plan always works and sin will never ever defeat his plan number three and probably the greatest lesson that we all should be reminded of on remembrance day God is great but not just that only God is great name one army that has ruled for eternity. Name one nation that rules the entire world in every decision. Name one person that is immortal. You see, the truth is when we look at history, when we remember world wars, when we remember the loss of life, if we are like Habakkuk and we remember the days of the past of who God is, one striking thing will occur that only God is great and only God rules. Now, if we lived our lives like that, what a different life we would live, wouldn't it? Imagine if every decision we made said, God, you rule. I don't even dare question. My prayer for everyone here, everyone listening online, for the boys, for the girls, for everyone today, is that we will look over history. We will not just learn from our mistakes. We won't just remember those who have helped us gain freedom. But we will finish with the almighty answer that only God is great and he will reign forever. Let's pray. Father, On this Remembrance Sunday, it is good to cast our eyes back and to consider who you are and what you have done. But Father, we also recognize as humans, we have done so many things that must hurt you. 
We have been like Habakkuk and we have questioned your very being. We have waged wars against one another as evil has writhed up. Yet, Father, we recognize one true aspect this morning. That evil never prevails and that righteousness will always win. Father, I pray that you build the people up here at Hamilton Baptist, that they will be a great shining light, a light that declares God is great, nothing else defeats God. Father, help us be a church that walks in this light, that recognizes who you are, that you even had the patience to talk with Habakkuk, to show him your plan, that you veil your power in love and mercy so that we might come to you, that you humble yourself and you send your son for us, people who sin and who question who you are. Father, we praise you and we say as one, only God is great. Amen. I believe the girls and the boys will be coming back in. We're going to be singing one final song. If we stand and sing this.